the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The gospel for this day places us once again on that Monday or Tuesday of Holy Week. And prior to our text, Jesus tells us three parables. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, and the parable of the wedding feast, which we heard three weeks ago. And having heard these three parables, the chief priests and the Pharisees perceived that Jesus was speaking about them. Instead of repenting of their sin, that is their sin of rejecting Jesus as the promised Messiah, well, they were enraged by Jesus' words. They sought to destroy him. And so it is that the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. More literally, they sought to trap him in a word. They were desperate to catch Jesus saying something that they could use against him. And what they came up with was pretty brilliant. Certainly sinister, evil, wicked, but brilliant. The Pharisees decided that they would send their smartest disciples to Jesus, along with the Herodians, that are those people who supported the rule of Herod Antipas. They sent these two groups to Jesus in order to place before him a dilemma. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if answered yes, that it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, it would discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people who hated Roman rule. And if Jesus answered no, that it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, the Pharisees would immediately have evidence against him that they could take to the Roman governor of Judea, that is Pontius Pilate. And as you don't mess with the Romans when it comes to their revenue and taxes, well, you could be assured that Pilate would take care of their Jesus problem. And so the Pharisees had the perfect trap set. They sent their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians. They tried to butter him up a little bit, using excessive flattery in order to disarm Jesus and set him up for a fall. They say, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But the Pharisees didn't realize who they were dealing with. As true God in human flesh and blood, Jesus was aware of their malice. He saw through their insincere flattery, their intent to trap him. So he responds to them. Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness inscription is this? The Pharisees were forced to give the obvious answer. Caesar's. Somewhat similar to our currency, which bears the images of former rulers, former presidents of our country, 
coins minted by Rome for things such as trade and taxes bore the image and likeness of Tiberius Caesar. And by having his image, his likeness on every coin and every pocket, well, the emperor would make known his presence everywhere. Where the coin went, there went Caesar. So to Jesus' question, whose likeness and inscription is this? The Pharisees gave the obvious answer. Caesar. Jesus said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Well, redeemed, Jesus' words this day are fitting for us to consider. More than likely, you have money in your pocket right now. Or if not, you have it in the bank. Money that bears the image of former presidents. Not only that, consider how our country celebrated Veterans Day yesterday. How our country held elections this past week and we're gearing up for a presidential election this next year. Consider how our government is constantly passing laws that affect each and every single one of our lives. And so Jesus' statement, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's, are certainly fitting words for understanding how we are to live our lives here on earth. With these words, Jesus this day would have us consider what's often referred to as the two kingdoms. That is the secular kingdom and the spiritual kingdom. Sometimes they're referred to as the right-hand kingdom or the left-hand kingdom. And the fact that there are two kingdoms doesn't mean that one of these kingdoms is evil and the other one is good. No. Both of these kings are, kingdoms are established, are governed by God himself. And as a result, they serve his purposes. God ordained the spiritual kingdom to reconcile sinners to himself. And he does this through the proclamation of both the law and the gospel. And through the administration of the sacraments. God also ordained the secular kingdom to protect human beings from harm. To administer his justice and wrath against wrongdoers, and to provide for the temporal well-being of man. And we Christians find ourselves in both of these kingdoms. And as a result, we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. So what are some of those things that we are to render to Caesar? Well, consider what St. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, 
be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So here we see that we are to honor and obey the government because the civil authority are God's servants, whether they realize it or not. And we don't honor and obey them only when they're the people that we voted for them, or voted for. We don't honor and obey them only when we like their policies. We are to honor and obey those God has placed over us, even if it means suffering for a time being. We trust the Lord who promises to work His will, even though you may not understand why or how he'll do it. And so it is that we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We pray for them. Pay their taxes. We honor and obey them. And yet, we don't give to Caesar what rightly belongs to God. When the civil authorities try to claim for itself authority that God hasn't given to them, they transgress a line and must be resisted and opposed. The government may lay claim to your property. It may require you to pay excessive taxes. It may require you to obey its laws. And yet it may not require you to do anything that is contrary to the word of God it may not interfere with the preaching of the gospel. It may not lay claim to the affection and devotion that you owe to God alone. Render to God the things that are God's. The secular kingdom can't change the human heart. It can't forgive a single one of your sins. Neither can it open the kingdom of heaven to you. Only the spiritual kingdom can do that. And here, you're confronted with the word of law. This is not a a law of man, but the law of God. It's his law that confronts you of your failings, your sins. Sins of failing to submit to God's secular kingdom. Sins of making the government in this country into an idol, of giving your love and devotion to Caesar, which rightly belongs to God. Here you're confronted with the truth that you're deserving of an imprisonment that's far worse than any imprisonment seen here on earth, and that is the imprisonment of eternal death and hell. And yet, in this spiritual kingdom, God doesn't stop there. He uses his word, the word of the gospel, revealing your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. That you've been reconciled to God by means of Jesus' perfect obedience and innocent suffering and death on the cross. You've been given a peace that surpasses any peace that earthly uh, governments Try to provide for you. They can't provide you the peace of sins forgiven. Consider what took place 
in the waters of holy baptism. There in those blessed waters, your sins were washed away. You've been inscribed, you've been marked, not by Caesar, but by God himself. You've been marked as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And having been born again through water and the Spirit, God himself leads you. He enables you. He strengthens you to live in ways that are pleasing to him. To honor and obey those people God has placed over you. To render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. Fellow redeemed, the Christian church on earth is the instrument that God wields in his right hand. For here, through word and sacrament, he calls all men to himself. It's here that his message of a peace that surpasses all human understandings is made known. The church is God's rule of grace and mercy where he declares sinners to be righteous through the blood of Jesus. The church doesn't exist to make or administer laws. The church doesn't exist to raise up armies and levy taxes. It exists to conquer man's hearts with the words of forgiveness and life and peace and joy and hope. As Christians, we find ourselves in both of these kingdoms, both the kingdom, the secular kingdom, and the spiritual kingdom, and we give to the state what the state can rightly claim from us. And yet our faith is in God. We don't trust any human government to give us what we really need in this life. We trust in him who died for us, who rose for us. Jesus is our true king. He's the king of peace, the king of righteousness. He is our savior, whose kingdom shall have no end. God be praised. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank <clears throat> you.